Man, we love to go and kind of come alongside. And what Dollar Club is all about is that we get to go find people out in our community who are already making an impact, and we get to just be a blessing to them. And it's because of your generosity that's making that happen. One of our core values around here is that we say that we are contributors, not consumers. And that we recognize that we are called to be generous with our time, with our talents, with our treasures, even with our testimony of what God's done in our lives. And you saw there, your generosity is making a major impact into our community. But before we hop into the message, I want to give another way that you can make an impact as well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Chad highlighted a, uh, some needs that we have on our serving teams. And on your way in, you probably received a card. But I want to focus, uh, and, and there are a bunch of needs that a lot of people have already jumped in to kind of help with. And so we're grateful for that already. And if you missed that week or you've been thinking about how do I get plugged into this church, what I want to really encourage you to do is to jump in where God is already moving, where God is already working, and come be a part of what he's doing around here. As you look at the cards, you can see there are all kinds of different ways that you can get plugged in. But let me focus on just a couple of places where we have some greater needs. It's in our Ridge Kids and our student ministry area. Even after the people who have signed up, we still have a need for five more nursery and preschool leaders. We still have a need for 14 more elementary small group leaders. And we still have a need for five more middle school and high school student leaders. And so if you are thinking about getting plugged in, I'd really love to point you towards those, those places. Here's what I can promise, though. Wherever you decide to serve, you will find that your faith will grow. So grab the card, fill it out, drop it on the buckets on your way out there, and expect in a couple of days or a week or so, you'll get a call from a ministry leader who will answer any of the questions you might have about whatever position and then schedule you to a time to shadow because we want to make sure that it's a perfect fit for you before you start serving long-term there. So grab those cards, jump in there. Well, let me pray for our service this morning. God, I thank you for the gift of this time. God, I am grateful for the songs that we sang this morning. Uh, Andy said, uh, did anyone need to be reminded of those things? And I was the one. Uh, I am grateful for who you are. I am grateful for what you do and that you go before us and that I can trust that and that you are God. Thanks for loving us. God, I pray that on our, us as a church today. I pray that we would know you and that we would see you and that we'd be moved to change as a result of that. We love you, God. Amen. All right, this morning we are continuing in the series that we left off two weeks ago. Continuing in where we left off in this series that we've titled Relevant. That is, the ancient words that God has given us, but how are they relevant for us today? And this is not new. This is something we do every year here, that we look at God's word and we see how it applies to our life. And, and then try to live it out as a result of that. What's different about this year is that we are working systematically from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Where we are looking at what God has for us and we can see see God's story play itself out through history um, and weave itself through history and this morning we're going to find ourselves in a pretty significant moment in the life of of this history and it's in the book of Joshua and so if you have your Bibles with you you can go ahead and start turning towards Joshua if you don't have your Bibles with you that's okay we're going to have it up on the screen here the book of Joshua, let me give you some overview of the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is full of some amazing stories. It really is. There's the story of this prostitute named Rahab who saves a bunch of spies that are Israelites when they come in. There's this story of this battle of Jericho that it's insane. If you haven't read the battle of Jericho, you need to check it out. There's even this part in Joshua 10 where it talks about time standing still. 
If you haven't seen this, if you look at it, it actually says that the sun goes up, but it doesn't come back down like it normally does, but it stays up for the whole day. In fact, in verse 13 or 14, the Bible records that there had never been a day like it, and there's never been a day since. Really crazy thing. But Joshua can also be a troubling book for us. For many of us as we read it, because in this book, Joshua, we come across God's holiness in a way that we haven't seen probably since the book of Leviticus. And, and the whole cities are completely destroyed and wiped out because of their pagan idol worship. In most cases, we see that God gives them plenty of opportunities to turn and change from their ways that they are, to turn from the idolatry and these, these, these other gods, these idols that they're worshiping. But at the same time, it's still, it's hard for us to read about that. But also in Joshua, we see some of God's amazing grace show up as well. One massively important moment happens in the very first chapter of Joshua, where we're going to be this morning. But before we get there, uh, we need to lay some groundwork. If you were here a few weeks ago when I spoke, or maybe it's been months, I lose track of time. But um, on, on Abraham specifically, um, or you're familiar with the beginning of Jewish history then this will ring a, ring a bell for you. But there was a turning point, not only in the life of Abraham, but in the nation that would come that would be known as Israel. Israel. And it's helpful for us as we get ready to dive into the book of Joshua if we read it. So let's read this again. Genesis 12, 1 and 2, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, or Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Three things that we see there that God is going to do for Abraham and through Abraham and the Israelites. One, he's going to turn them into a great nation. Two, he's going to give them a land that can be their own in order that three, that they could be a blessing to the world around them. This is really significant because it leads the rest of us and it leads the Israelite family, so we have to know this. Now, when we read from the beginning of the Bible, we start seeing this start to play out. Even from the book of Genesis, we start to see this happen. That in the very first Bible, we, or first part of the Bible, that God calls a group of people out and they become a family. In fact, they're known as God's family. Or they're known as the family of Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. They're a tribal family that's God's family. But you wouldn't necessarily call them a nation yet. And it isn't until we get to the book of Exodus that we start to see that they have become a nation, that the nation is starting to develop. They're there. There's a nation of people. They're getting massive. But they're an enslaved nation. And so God takes Moses and brings them out of there and uses him to bring them out of that so they're no longer a slave nation. And then through the books of uh, Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we see this free nation go from away from Egypt and out into the world. And, but they wander for 40 years over and over again. They're a nation and they're a free nation, but they don't have a land that's called their own. God had given them a promise that he was going to give them this land, but because of their stubbornness, they kept not being able to go into the land. And so for 40 years, they wandered around. And then we find ourselves today in the book of Joshua 1. So let's read this, Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, 
Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to you and to all of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you, just as I promised to Moses. All right, we got to pause here for just a second, real quick here. God starts this conversation with Joshua by declaring the death of Moses. This is a major moment in the life because Moses uh, is that been the leader since the moment they left Egypt. He has been the leader. They've known no other leaders. He has been the one who has been leading them for 40 straight years. It's been about him. They had seen him do major things. Joshua himself, his assistant, had been with him this whole time, watched him as he walked into the tent, watched as he walked out of the tent, glowing with face-to-face because he had met with God himself. He had seen how Moses had led them all over the place. And even Deuteronomy 34.10 says that, and there has not arisen a prophet since Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. This is a big moment in time because the leader that they've always known, the one that they've always followed is dead. Moses has died, but God is ready to fulfill the second part of the promise through He is ready to give them the land that he promised them. He'd made them into a great nation. Now it's time to take the land, a place where their nation can flourish and dwell and live. In fact, the way the passage really reads here, not only is he going to give the land, it says that I have already given you the land into the land that I have given to them. God has already given them the land. It's theirs. All they do, all they got to do is take it. But there's a problem. And if you saw it there, there's a big river in the way named the Jordan. We got this far, but we got this massive river in our way that we can't get across. I don't know how we're going to go anywhere else. If you've been tracking with us for the last few months, then you know God can do some incredible things. I believe the Israelites in this situation knew God could do some pretty amazing things. They had seen it happen in the past. But when you're staring at the problem yourself it looks a little bit more impossible. God, though, is giving them a promise to accept the land, but somehow they're going to have to get over this massive river that's in their way. In order to take it, God gave them what is known as a faith moment. It's a moment to trust him. More than anything, they wanted this land. More than anything, they didn't want to wander any longer. They wanted a place that they could call their home. They could see the land. They wanted to get it. They saw it right across the river over there. But there was an obstacle. And I can only imagine God sitting there with them and agreeing with them in this moment. Yeah. That's a big river. It's a big river. But do you trust me? Here's a big truth that we learn from the Israelites in this moment. Sometimes, sometimes, God gives me a promise, but I got to take a step. The Israelites themselves are standing on the edge of the river, looking across the land that God had given them, but they're a little stuck. They're trying to figure out what do we do. God's telling them what they need to do. I'm going to take you to the other side, but you got to rise up and go over. You got to get up and take a step. And it's simple to say. It really is easy to say at this moment, but it isn't always real easy. Because the promise is sweet, but the obstacle is big. Sometimes God gives us promises as well. 
Sometimes he gives us promises as well. Sometimes God says, I'm going to heal your marriage. But you got to take a step and call a counselor. Listen, sometimes God says, I'm going to restore your finances. But you have got to take a step and stop spending on this frivolous stuff and start giving like I've called you to do. Sometimes God says, I'm going to let you know me. But here's the thing, we gotta take a step sometimes and set the alarm clock so that we can get up in the morning so that we can have intimate time knowing God himself. Sometimes God says, I'm gonna let you lead other people to Jesus. But you gotta take a step and testify to what God has done in your life. You gotta take a step to share the gospel with them. God said, I wanna give you an abundant life. God sometimes promises to us that I'm gonna give you a meaningful, purposeful, eternal life. But listen, you gotta take a step. You gotta start marking things off the list that are temporal, that are holding you back from being able to do that in order to experience this life. I would say most of us want to have good marriages. We want to have our finances in order. We want to know God well, and we want to be meaningful in this life. I am confident that most of us have probably even said some of those lines at some point in our life at different points in it. Nobody wants to have a failed marriage or to be struggling day to day with their finances. But when when I say it without taking a step towards it, it's more like I like the idea of having a good marriage. I like the idea of having my finances in the order. I like the idea of living a more meaningful, purposeful life. I don't know that I want to have to take steps to get there. But sometimes, if I'm going to accept what God offers, I'm going to have to take a step. God reiterates this to Joshua in a way to try to encourage him. Every single place that the sole of your foot will tread, every place you step towards upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. Every place you step, I've already given it to you. Take a step towards my promises. It's yours, but I want you to take this faith step because I want you to see what I can do. I want you to remember this moment when you took a step in faith and trusted me, and I want you to remember this for later. When the Israelites, three days later, actually took this step, God stopped the water completely, and they walked over on dry land, just like their forefathers had done in Egypt previously. They're going to remember this moment forever because God is giving them the land that he promised them and he's going to do it in such a way that they see it in faith that when they step out God works it's a gift from him to them he wants them to have this special moment he could have provided a boat for them he could have stopped the water long before they got up to it he could have made it dry for them but he wanted them to have this moment where they had an opportunity to build their faith and see God show up Crossing the river, getting the land is the second part of the promise. But crossing the river is just the beginning of what God wants to do through this people. God wants to take them and bless the world through them. And before they cross over, I believe God wants to prepare Joshua for what's coming next. 
God says, I want to tell you a few things before we go ahead and cross this river. I think if I'm in Joshua's shoes, things are starting to get real, real all of a sudden. Like it was one thing to get here. It was one thing to start coming this direction. It was another when it says, okay, we're going to take the land. Now you have some responsibility that comes along with it. Joshua, I think in this moment, might have started to get nervous. Joshua had always been the assistant. He had always been Moses' assistant. He might have been looking in this moment confused about whether they could continue on without Moses. Joshua might have been thinking that as Moses goes, Yahweh goes as well, and we're stuck. We don't have anything we can do. But Yahweh tells Joshua this to encourage him. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Joshua, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to let you know right now, just like I honored Moses, I'm going to do that. Just like I walked with Moses, I'm going to walk with you. In fact, at the end of the life, uh, Joshua is given the same title that Moses was given. uh, Joshua, my servant, has died. Given to him exactly from Yahweh, just like Moses was. And I don't know if this sounds encouraging or not to you, but there is something that we need to see from this. It gives me, Blair, a little bit of peace, but I don't know how it sits with everybody else. But it isn't the man that will make things happen. It wasn't Moses, as awesome as he might have been. It really isn't about you, Joshua. Blair, you aren't the one responsible for making things happen. I, El Shaddai, God Almighty, am the one who makes things move. I am the one who conquers cities. I am the one who provides manna. I am the one who moves waters. And I'm going to be with you. Whatever else is needed, all you need to do is take a step. Listen, they were looking. It was a big river. It's a big river. Moses, those are big sandals to fill. Our marriages might be in a rough spot. You might feel like you're stuck in this continual rat race of never being able to have a meaningful, eternal life. But God says, I am God. Just like I was with Moses, just like I was with Joshua, I will be with you. But I guess the point would be, it's not me, it's God. And that gives me encouragement. Because God's saying, I use Moses I used Adam, I used Noah, I used Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I used Joseph and I used Moses and I used Joshua. Joshua, I can use you. I want you and the Israelites to have the land, but I also want you to do something radical when you get to the other side. I want you to live so radically so that the world is blessed through you. Making you into a nation and giving you this land was a gift from me to you but it does come with a responsibility that i want you to see it comes with a responsibility it's an awesome responsibility joshua israel you are going to be my representation to the whole world they're going to know what it looks like to be in a relationship with me they're going to know what and get to see you experience a life in connection with me yahweh they're going to see it they're going to see you as my people but I will be with you. It's not about you. It's about me. And now God wants to give him 
the game plan on being successful at what the responsibility is. In fact, in verse 7, it says it this way, that you may have good success wherever you go. In my study this week, I found something really helpful that's really cool. It's related to the Hebrew structure over these next five verses that we're going to look at together. In this structure, we can understand what God is trying to put tell joshua in this moment it's really important this phrase that we have here that you may have good success wherever you go is dead in the center of it and then god uses uh matching verses that come from the beginning and the end they match each other here 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 all pointing to that line that they may have good success that he wants him to understand fully how he might be able to accomplish this let me show you some of these here so you can see them. In verse 5 and in verse 9, he says the same thing. I will not leave you or forsake you. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Give me the next one. All right, so in verse 6, it says, be strong and courageous. In verse 9, do not be discouraged, right? Same thing. Next one. Only be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. 7 and 9, they're still coming together. All right, next one. Being careful to do according to do all that the law says. And verse 8 says the same thing. Be careful to do according to all that is written. All right, one more time. Do not turn from it to the right hand to the left. Keep the law right in front of you. This book of the law shall not depart from you so that you might be able to have success at the responsibility that I've given you. Here's how you're gonna do it. Now, let me show you that what that looks like again. This is just the passage. You don't have to be able to read the words, but here you can see it. Reds match, oranges match, greens match, blues match, purples match, all the way so that they can see that here's what I want you to know, Joshua. I want you to see that I'm gonna make you successful, but here's how you're going to be able to do it. Three important notes that I think we see from this. Order matters here. It's really significant. The way this is ordered really matters. God is trying to help us understand something. One of the first things that God wants us to understand is that the Israelites are not told to follow God's commands in order to have a relationship with him. We talk about it all the time around here, but the first thing that God says to them is, I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. God is telling them that he is present with them wherever they go. You aren't going to earn a relationship with me. By my grace, you are given this gift. And I think that's significant because oftentimes when we're reading in the Old Testament, we have a, such a way that we miss the grace of God sometimes and we start, start to think that it's all about following a set of commands in order to earn God's love. But God says, first off, I want you to know, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says it first and he says it at the end. He wanted to hear it first and he wanted that to be the last thing that they heard as well. I am your God and you are my people. Which helps us to understand the next part of it. Therefore, obedience cannot give me a relationship with God, but, 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 disobedience can result in a failure to succeed on the mission. God tells Joshua very clearly, he says, be careful to do everything that is written. He says it again, be careful to follow all of my commands. I want you to be a blessing to the world around you. But if you choose to go your own way, there are consequences to that. And you're gonna fail up the mission. 
In fact, in, in, verses, or in chapter 6 and 7 of Joshua, we see a man named Achan who does exactly this. The Israelites are told to follow in a certain way. Achan chooses to go a different way than what happens there. And as a result of it, the Israelites end up losing a battle that they should have easily won. So much that we see after they repent of the sin that they had, a few days later, God gives them, restores them, and they win this battle against that exact same country. But his disobedience and our sin does hinder our ability to do what God has for us. So Achan and Israel, for a time, lost the ability to be a blessing to the world around them because of their sin. It's really difficult for God to use you to bless others if you continue in disobedience. I often look at this in light of, I used to play golf a lot, and I would think in terms of golf. And one of the illustrations that I think when I think about being in God's plan is the idea that the game of golf has some different parts. Like when you go down a, a hole, there's the tee box, and you want to aim at the shortest grass, which is known as the fairway. Outside of that, the grass gets much difficult. A lot more obstacles are in the way, and it's a whole lot harder to play from what's known as the rough, Right? God is saying that if you want to have success, you need to stay in the fairway. And God has laid out the fairway for us as obedience to his word so that we know that we can play and be more successful. If you get over there in the rough, if you get yourself in there where you're not following the track that I've set for you, it's going to be really hard for me to be able to use you because you're going to be over there hacking just to get out. So the goal is, if we want to be able to be a blessing to the world, we got to stay in the place. We can't have disobedience in our life because it's going to hinder God's ability to use us. The third thing I think we see from this is a lot about our courage. God commands Joshua to be strong and courageous. But it's important to know that that comes right after God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Right? God commands us to do this because we know he is with us. He enables us to follow his commands and then be a blessing to the world around us. It's important that we see this structure again. I just want to hit it one more time. Five and nine, encircle around the truth of God's presence in our lives. You can't miss this. Joshua and the Israelites will be successful not because they obey all of God's commands, but because God is with them that enables them to obey all his commands. There's a very small difference there, but it's a massive difference that God is present in their lives. That is how they will be successful. God's presence in a person's life is the most significant thing. It's why God says it three times in these five verses, all real back to back to back to back. In the future, this becomes a problem. Man starts loving the commands even more than they love God. A group of men that, we, that are known as the Pharisees are like this who strictly follow all of God's commands. They know and try to obey these laws, but Jesus identifies the issue that they have. In John 8, he says, They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. See, right before this, Jesus is explaining and inviting people into the family that he is offering them. And it's a permanent land and a responsibility to be a blessing. Here, listen to this, what he says. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You will be a blessing to the world around you. You will be able to go out. You will be successful because you follow me. So the Pharisees said to him, who are you bearing witness? It sounds like you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not even true. Jesus looked at him later on and, they, and said to them, you don't know my father and you're without the light of life. You don't have good success. You aren't blessing the world around you. You aren't being someone. But, but we're following God's commands. But they were missing the big point about this more than anything. They were trying to keep the commands in order to earn a relationship with God. And it didn't work that way. They were trying to earn God's favor for them. They were being strict with the rules that God would, hoping that God would bless them. But they didn't even know who he was. They were more in love with the commands than God himself. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. I'm sorry, but when I hear those words, just following the commands isn't the abundant life that I think Jesus is promising there. He came, his presence was with his disciples so that they would not only be able to follow these commands, but that they would have a life that would make major impact on the world around them. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, not only so we can obey the commands, yes, he does lead us to obey the commands, but so that you will live out the abundant life here and now. I love God's word, so please don't misunderstand me when I'm saying this, that I'm not telling you just follow God's commands, like it's like a negative thing. But I think God wants to do some radical things through you and through us. Joshua had a radical moment later on in his life. It's probably the moment that he is most remembered for of all. It's the Battle of Jericho. This fortified city, known as the oldest city in all of the world, walls so thick it was believed to be impenetrable. An opportunity to finally have the land which God was giving them was before in front of them. Then God gives Joshua the directions on how he's going to win this fight. He said, I want you to walk around it and I want you to shout. Right? In that moment, I see that Joshua knew the order of the way this worked. He knew that God was for him. It allowed him to be strong and courageous so that he might be able to obey the words of God and then see success, right? Because there's no way Joshua is going if he doesn't know God is for him. There's no way he's going with that strategy of walking around a place and shouting, hoping that they're gonna get this battle. But we see that, God is or that Joshua is remembered because he trusted that God was with him so that he could be strong and courageous to walk right up to Jericho, to go around it and walk and shout and know that he was gonna have success. If Joshua loses belief, if he loses sight of the fact that God is with him, he's probably picking up swords and spears and he's gonna attack the walls because he's gonna lose sight and not be able to obey what God has called him to do, which is go and walk. And if he does it that way, those walls don't come down. Joshua chapter one is known as Joshua's commissioning. 1,400 years later, Jesus starts commissioning his disciples. In a passage in Matthew 28 that's known as the Great Commission, it's a plan 
for the church to be commissioned. It's the way that Jesus told his disciples how we are going to be a blessing to the world. Look at the way this is. I want you to hear this in light of what we just read in Joshua. And as you think about what God commissioned Joshua with, think about this as Jesus says this to you. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, go therefore out into the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And hey, remember, behold, remember this, I am with you always to the end of the age. The same thing that God told Joshua that he would never leave him or forsake you, Jesus tells us today and his disciples then, I will never leave you or forsake you. But I want you to see some massive things. I want you to be a blessing to the world around you. I want you to change the world. And here's how you're gonna do it. You're gonna go out wherever you are, go out into the world, and you're gonna make disciples of all. You're gonna let them know all that I have taught you. You're gonna let them hear all that I have commanded you so that they might know and might have life. God was using Joshua and the Israelites in that moment 1,500 years ago, 3,500, so long ago to help them lead this place to be a blessing. He offered them a promised home. He said, here's your land. I'm gonna turn you into a nation. You're gonna be my people. You're gonna have an eternal land, a promised land that you're gonna go in. But it has with it a responsibility to go and be a blessing to the world around you. If Jesus has come into your life, then the Holy Spirit lives within you so that you have a promise and eternal life, a home set for you. But it comes with it a responsibility to be a blessing to the world around you. And we, River Ridge Church, want to be that in this place, here in this building, but in all the world around us, so that we go out with the gospel that transformed our lives in such a way that transforms the world. Let me pray for us. God, I am so grateful that you brought the gospel to me. I am so grateful that you transformed my life and gave me an eternal purpose. God, I don't want to miss any moment where I, don't, where, where, where I am choosing to come back into a temporal life and not being a blessing to the world around me. You have transformed my life to allow me to be able to go out into the world. And so, God, I want to do that, and I want us as a church to be that. This church is a place that has been doing that for the last bunch of years. We want to continue to do that. We want to walk into the world with such a way that allows them to see you clearly. Help us not to stand at the river. Help us, God, to take a step over, to go into the world, share the gospel with people because you have promised that you are going to change the world through the church. You're gonna bring lives to you. People are going to know you as a result of the church going out. And so, God, I pray that over us today. Thank you that you are with us and you will never leave us or forsake us. And God, we can be strong and courageous as a result of that. We love you. Amen. Hey, that's it for this week. As you guys go out, let's share the gospel with the world.